Well, good morning, church. It's really good um, to connect with you, even over uh, the internet, over technology. Uh, again, just want to say I'm really proud of you for hanging in there in this season, for finding ways to worship God creatively. Um, and I'm just so thankful that our God remains the same, that in 10,000 years from now, we will be together in his presence Uh, No more fall or broken world or sicknesses or viruses or separation in any way. We will be together. Um, But we can enjoy him and his presence even now um, in this way. So if you will get your Bible out and we will be turning to the gospel of John. We will be in John chapter 7 covering verses 25 to 39. John 7, 25 to 39, the title of this sermon is Come and Drink, Come and Drink. I will read this text for us and then we will study the word of God together. John seven twenty five says this. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be this, that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true. In him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Now the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. God, we thank you for your word, your holy, perfect, inerrant, infallible, life-giving, life-sustaining 
word. And God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I thank you that you have given your spirit. And I thank you, Spirit, that you use your word to do such significant spiritual work in our hearts and in our minds. You teach us truth. You show us Jesus. And so God, we just say that we are desperate. We are thirsty. We need to hear from you. We need you to take your word and make it alive to us, to our minds, to our lives. So come, Lord, help us. Give us ears to hear. Spirit of God, revive us, encourage us, refresh us, and speak to us through your word. All for the name and the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, every living organism knows what it is to thirst. In fact, if you are not thirsty, if you are not constantly drinking, you are not alive. There is no living thing that does not thirst. And that is true spiritually as well. If your soul is not daily, constantly thirsting, then your soul is dead. And to thirst is to be spiritually alive. Now, we're going to break this text into three sections, into three points. Uh, The first section, verses 25 to 30, is the danger of not recognizing your thirst. Secondly, verses 31 to 36, we will see the danger of not drinking while you can. And finally, verses 37 to 39, we will see the invitation to drink. Now, as we get into this text, just to refresh our minds, to remember where we are. If you remember in John chapter 6, John chapter 6, it was the time of the Passover, The Passover is this time when the Israelites remembered God delivered them out of slavery. And it was at the time of Passover that Jesus performed a miracle that the Israelites experienced also during the first Passover. When they were delivered into the wilderness, God provided manna, bread for them. And and Jesus, at the time of Passover, he provided bread. He multiplied the loaves to feed the 5,000. And then right after that, he crosses the Sea of Galilee supernaturally. Another reminder of the Passover as God led his people across the sea. Now in John chapter 7, We are in the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And this feast was also to remember that once God delivered his people out of slavery, they lived in the wilderness. And this feast was to remember that they they lived in these tents for 40 years, that this world is not their home, but God would bring them into a promised land where they wouldn't have to live in tents anymore. They they would finally be home. And and this feast is to remember, not only did he provide manna, he provided water. He provided everything they needed in the wilderness. And it's in this time, this feast of booths, that Jesus proclaims the truth, come to me, that you would have drink. Now, Let's first dig into our text again. Point number one, the danger of not recognizing your thirst. Let's read verses 25 and 26. 
in this feast, in this time where they were all there in Jerusalem, verse 25 says, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be the authorities really know that he is the Christ? And the main thing to recognize here, if you remember our last text, there are just opinions upon opinions of who Jesus is. Just previously, they said, you know, some, some said he was a good man and others said, no, he's leading people astray and, and the authorities are trying to kill him. And now these people in Jerusalem are saying, maybe he's the Messiah. There's just always noise. There's always opinions about who Jesus really is. And then notice, this is where we get our point. Notice their assumption in verse 27. And we're going to notice the, the spiritual pride of these people. We're going to notice the, the danger of not recognizing their need for Jesus. Verse 27, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Well, here we see that the, the, the people think they know Jesus. It seems they are assuming that because they, that he, he grew up in Nazareth, that they're saying, yeah, we, we know he's from Nazareth. And then they even have this misguided idea that, that when the Messiah comes, nobody would know. And, and that's from a prophecy in Malachi that, that says the, the Messiah is going to show up in the temple. And they interpreted that to mean that, that no one would ever even know who he was until all of a sudden he just showed up. And, and so they have these two misguided assumptions, but they, they're proudly stating, but we know, we know about this man. Now, it's important to recognize the danger of assuming you know. These people assumed they knew Jesus. They assumed they knew where he came from. They were assuming they knew all there was to know. They had facts about Jesus in their brains. But look what Jesus says to them in the next two verses, verse 28, 29. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I came from him and he sent me. Jesus is speaking honestly, sarcastically. He's saying, oh, you, you think you know me and where I come from? You think you really know me? And then what he does is he extends where he came from all the way to eternity past. And he says, I came from God. I know the one who sent me. I, I actually came from God. And do you know what Jesus says to these people? You don't know him. You don't know God. And Jesus is calling out their spiritual arrogance, their spiritual pride. They're so proud that they know, that they think that they know. But their knowledge of God and their knowledge of Jesus is shallow. It's superficial. And the Bible warns us of the very same thing. Beware, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, if anyone thinks he knows something about God, if anyone is proud of his knowledge about God, he doesn't know as he ought to know. 
The Bible warns us of filling our minds with facts and information about God, even about the scriptures. And yet we can fill our minds <coughs> and, our, and our intellect with truth about God, but we, like these people, may not really know God. There is a difference between knowing truth about Jesus and truly knowing Jesus. These people thought that they were good and, and they thought they were spiritual and they did not see their spiritual thirst, their true need for God. They didn't even know that they didn't know God. They thought they did know God. Hear me, the greatest danger for a human soul, the greatest danger for a human soul is to assume that you know God, to assume you know all there is to know. Jesus tells us, do you know what the right posture is for the one who would come in my kingdom? In the Beatitudes, the first most significant sermon Jesus ever teaches us in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter five, he, he begins the Beatitudes this way, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who acknowledge that they are in need that they do not know all they need to know, that they do not have all they need to have. And then he goes on to say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who recognize they are in great need of righteousness. They, they don't have all the righteousness that they need. They are hungering and thirsting after it. They are humbly confessing their need for God. You see, the posture of a Christian, of one who knows God and walks with God is one of daily spiritual thirst. God, I need you, have mercy on me. And his mercies are new every day so that we would come as Christians and, and we would just need the Lord that we would cling to him, that we would feed on his word and his spirit would refresh us like water. And, and listen, the more we grow as Christians, the more we realize we need him all the more. The more we grow in maturity, it just means we're growing in humility to say, God, I need you. As Paul would say, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of the worst. That that, that posture of humility and thirst, that is what it is to know God. And yet these people in Jerusalem proudly said, we know, we know where this man comes from. We know all there is to know. And so we must recognize the danger of not acknowledging our thirst before God. Now, verse 30 is a bit of a, a transition and, 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 and John is starting to build just some storyline suspense. It says, so they were seeking to arrest him, 
but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And just as an aside, this is so fascinating. We see these times in the gospels where people try to attack Jesus or, or they try to make him king where humans want their agenda to happen and, and somehow Jesus just slips away. And they don't accomplish their plans. And and we don't even know how Jesus got away because that's not the point. The point is, it was not his time. And it's significant to recognize that God is sovereignly orchestrating even the timing of Jesus's death. We have to remember that Jesus didn't just randomly at the hands of people. He, He wasn't just crucified at the whim of people. No, it was on a timetable. It was on God's timetable. God is sovereign even over the timing of the death of Jesus. And since it wasn't his time, his hour hadn't come, he, he was not going to be arrested. And just as, a, as an aside for our hearts in such a season as this, I know there is great fear in, the, in, 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 our, in our world right now. There is great fear over our health. And if I do something wrong, or is this going to happen? Am I going to get coronavirus? Everything feels so out of control. Listen, we must remember this truth. Our days are numbered by God. It is God who gives life and it is God who takes life. That no group of human beings and no virus, no work of the enemy has the authority to shorten your life by an hour. And as Jesus kindly reminds us, so don't be anxious because you cannot add an hour through your worries. As the days of Jesus were numbered by God, so our days are numbered. In Psalm 139, David confesses, all my days were written in your book before anyone came to be. And so our lives are in the hands of God. We are safe in his hands. And so that first point we see again, the danger of not recognizing our thirst. And, and now we move on to the second point, which is this, the danger of not drinking while you can. And that's verses 31 through 36. Let's just look at 31 and 32 together. It says this, yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Again, this is just building that suspense. Now the chief priests are sending the the temple officers to go arrest Jesus because people are beginning to believe in him. They're beginning to, to think and wonder, could this really be the Messiah? And then Jesus, I I love John. He's such a good author. He just tells us, okay, so you have all these people and they're upset and they're, they're coming to arrest Jesus. But meanwhile, in verse 33, Jesus is just openly preaching in the temple. So behind the scenes, as if it were a movie, we see these people coming to arrest him, but, but there Jesus is at the same moment standing up and, and speaking truth to the people. And, and so he speaks in verse 33 and 34. He says this, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer. And then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. 
And so Jesus here is, is saying, listen, the first thing you were wondering is, where did I come from? You thought you knew where I come from. But then he goes on in verse 33, he says, but not only do you not know where I come from, you don't know where I am going. And as they didn't realize that he came from God, they don't recognize that he's going home to be with God again. And as verse 33 says, I will be with you a little longer. We know this is the the Feast of Booths. It happens in the fall, sometime right around the harvest time. And and so it would be about six more months that Jesus would be on the earth. And it was about six months away that that final Passover would come when Jesus would be crucified. And so he's saying, I'll be here a little bit longer, but then I'm gonna leave. And you don't even know where I'm going. And, And Jesus even has a bit of, a sarcasm here. He's saying, right now you're seeking me, but you're seeking me to kill me. You're seeking me to arrest me. But he's saying, the day is coming when I'll be gone. And and you'll look for me and I will not even be here anymore. But but look at the Jews' response in verse 35 and 36. It's clear as day. They, they are, this is completely going over their head. They are still spiritually blind. They are not understanding what Jesus is saying. Verse 35 and 36. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come? This is a tragic reality. Here we see people who are not recognizing their spiritual thirst and so they are not drinking of Jesus while they still can. And Jesus is telling them, I'm only gonna be here a little while longer and then I'll be gone. And then it will be too late for you to seek me and try and find me. And and that is a a truth, not just to these Jews who, who are hearing this. This is a truth to every living person that we have some time on this planet. And it is while we are here that we have an opportunity to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and to cry out and to drink from his grace, to repent and confess our need for a savior. We all have time right now, but the time will end when every person has a free opportunity to come to Christ. We will all die. And the moment we take our final breath, we will no longer have an opportunity to cry out for repentance. The Bible is crystal clear. We will live once. And when we die comes judgment. There is no second chance. We will not be in hell with an opportunity to cry out, I was wrong. Please, Jesus, have mercy on me. In fact, Jesus teaches that exact scenario in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And it's a parable where this man rejects God and doesn't cry out for mercy in his life. And he dies and he goes to hell. And he looks up from hell in this parable and he sees this man in heaven and he cries out that that man would just dip his finger in water and touch his tongue because he's suffering in such agony. And all he wants is a single drink of a single drop of water. And yet he is told, 
Not even a single drop can come from heaven to hell. The time of repentance is over. And Jesus is warning these hearers and he's warning every person who who hears his voice, repent while there's time. There will come a day when you will seek me and you will not find me when the door will be closed. Right now, Jesus is saying, come to me, but the day will come when we will not be able to come to him. And so I just wanna humbly, but with all of my heart, ask you, have you come to Christ? Have you come? Today may be your last day, your last opportunity to come to Christ to be rescued from your own sin? Have you come? Or will you be like those in the Bible who, who like Esau, who lost his opportunity of his own birthright and he, he tried to say sorry, but it was, it was too late. Like the, the parable of the 10 bridesmaids and, and the, the bridegroom came and, and five of them were ready to go and, and five weren't. And then they, they came late and they're knocking on the door saying, let us in. And the bridegroom says, I don't know you. The day will come when you will hear, I do not know you if you do not come to Christ. So I just wanna plead with you, come while you still can. And third, we hear from Jesus himself the invitation to come. We hear the invitation to come and drink. Now, before we read the final verses 37 to 39, I just want us to recognize a few things. The flow of thought and the, the richness and depth of, of the, the biblical like theology and themes that, that are about to happen, it's so profound. And I just wanna point out a few things to us. We, we see in the Bible when Jesus tells his disciples, I'm leaving, I'm going away, I'm going home to my father. And we see them like, can we come? We wanna come. And Jesus says, you, you, you'll come. But, but listen, it's better for you that I go, that I leave. And, and why is that? Why would it be better that Jesus leaves? Because he says, I will send the Holy Spirit. And we're about to see that very same flow as Jesus is saying, I'm gonna leave, I'm going away but I'm gonna send my spirit. And, and there's one more thing that, that's so profound that I, I want us to know before we read these verses. Um, again, this is the Feast of Booths. And, and just the first words of verse 37 says, on the last day of the feast. Now, the Feast of Booths was a, a week-long celebration, again, remembering how God delivered the people out of slavery and they were living in tents and, and they were remembering how in the wilderness he provided water to drink. And so what they would do, we have this just from records in history, the way, one of the ways they would celebrate this feast was on the last day of the feast, they would take water and they would, they would fill these vessels of gold with water. And they would have this procession up to the altar and they would pour the water out onto the altar as this 
this recognition, this, this way of remembering you provided water for us. Thank you for providing water for your people in the wilderness. And it's in this environment on the last day when everyone is expecting and anticipating this great um, this moment where they will remember how Jesus or how God provided water that Jesus himself stands up and now let's read verse 37 together on the last day of the feast the great day Jesus stood up and cried out if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink this would be shocking and utterly scandalous. Jesus would be drawing attention away from this ceremony about how God provided water for his people. And Jesus stands up. Now again, the the rabbis would teach sitting. So Jesus is drawing great attention to himself. It would be as if in the middle of a church service, someone stands up and interrupts and begins to shout out. Jesus stands up and he shouts out, if you want water, come to me and drink. This whole thing, this ceremony, this festival, this feast, all of it is about me. This, this is, it is audacious beyond, I mean, this is craziness, what Jesus is saying. And what he's saying is you need to acknowledge your thirst. And if you come to me, you will find water for your thirst. And that, that come to me and drink is the present tense. What he's getting at is you will drink and you will keep drinking forever. You will never cease. I I will never stop providing drink for you. And then he says in verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, what's so interesting is if you try to find that verse in the scriptures in the Old Testament, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, you won't find it. So what is Jesus saying? And it's funny, commentators have talked, what exactly is Jesus getting at? And, and people over the years have tried to discern what verse or what passage. And the consensus has become that Jesus is not speaking of a single verse. He's speaking of the whole thing. He's saying that the Old Testament talks about if you want to find life, if you want to find water, you will come to, and that is fulfilled in Christ. And so I'm just going to read a few passages that, that point to this reality. Again, this first and foremost is referring to Exodus 17 when the people were in the wilderness and they needed water to drink and God provided water from a rock. Jesus is saying, I'm like that rock. I'm the one who provides water for you in the wilderness. Another passage is Isaiah 55 that says, come and drink while you can. 
and the Lord will provide his word and it will go out like rain, like water falling from the sky and it will accomplish its work. Jesus is saying, I'm like that. I'm like the word of God falling from the sky to accomplish the purposes of God. Isaiah 58 verse 11 says, when you come to God, you will be like a well-watered garden. And then it goes on to say in verse 11, and you will become a fountain to others. And what Jesus is saying is you come to me and I will water. So water your life and your soul that you will become a source of blessing for other people in your life. Jesus is referring to Jeremiah chapter two, where God speaks of the utter tragedy when the people of God forsook God, the one who is the source of living water. And it says, and they they went to look for other cisterns to find water for themselves, but these cisterns couldn't even hold water. And so how insane to to neglect God, the source of living waters and, and go look for other places of water. And Jesus is saying, I am the one who will satisfy your soul. Don't go anywhere else. You will not find satisfaction in anyone or anything but me. Jesus says, come to me. And and (coughs) Jesus is certainly speaking of Zechariah 14, which is this prophetic picture of the millennial kingdom where you see the new Jerusalem and out of the temple will flow a river of water. And it says that the people will celebrate year after year the festival of booths and rain will fall from the sky. And Jesus is saying, I will bring about that kingdom. It will be under my reign that water will flow from the temple and there will never cease to be uh, uh, rain for you. Jesus is saying, I have fulfilled these scriptures. Come to me. And then verse 39 says this. Now this he said, about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, this is so, this is so beautiful because there is one other profound connection in the Old Testament to water. And that connection is to the Holy Spirit. We just see this connection with the Holy Spirit and water. Even in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And we see in Ezekiel 36, where it says that the Spirit of God will renew and and make a new soft heart and will sprinkle clean water. and And the Spirit will create this desire and ability to obey God. And we see this prophecy in Joel chapter 2 where the day would come in the future where the Spirit of God would not just come in power on a few. Because it says here in in John 7, 39, the Spirit had not yet been given. What does that mean exactly? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. We know in the Old Testament that the saints, the ones who believed in God, they were born again by the Spirit. 
we see that the spirit of God is present in the Old Testament. And the spirit of God is the one who allows people to believe and have faith. But we see that it's only in select times and select people and select circumstances that the spirit is poured out in power. We see it in people like Moses. We see it in the prophets. We see it as they prophetically give the word of God to people. We see it in people like Elijah who who have the power of God to do incredible miracles. We see it in Samson when the spirit of God rushes upon him. But the thing about the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God comes and then he goes. And that power is is momentary. And, And Joel 2 says, There will be a day when the Spirit of God will be poured out like water on not just the prophets, on not just the apostles, on not just a few um, people to perform miracles in in a moment. But Joel says the day will come when the Spirit of God will fall on everyone who trusts in God, on all the people of God, on the sons and the daughters, from the greatest to the least. The day will come when the Spirit of God will be poured out on the church. And Jesus is saying, when you come to me, when you come to me, and, and after I, I've died on the cross and I've been glorified, the day will come when I will, when I will pour out my spirit on all of my people. And we see it happen in history in Acts chapter two. And from that moment on, if you come to Christ, if you trust in Jesus out of your heart, will flow rivers of living water and the spirit of God will be upon you and in you. Where the spirit of God is available to all. Where the spirit of God will be that source of daily satisfaction, watering those dry places. The spirit of God will will lead us back to Christ, into repentance where the Spirit of God will convict us daily of our need to keep coming back to drink. And the Spirit of God will not run dry, but like this well welling up within us will daily satisfy and sustain us. And so I just wanna ask you, do you, have you, do daily, do you acknowledge I need the Lord. I, I am thirsty. I don't know all there is to know. I, I, my soul gets dry. I need the Lord. And I need to ask you, have you come? Have you acknowledged your thirst and trusted and believed in Christ? Have you come? And then to you, Christian, I want to ask you, do you continue to drink? Do you continue to daily come to Jesus? And does he give you a fresh filling of his spirit? And, And then is your life evidencing that the spirit is flowing out of you? Are you blessing others? Are you fruitful? Are you walking in his commandments? As Ezekiel 37 says, I will, my spirit will enable you to obey me. 
Are you walking in obedience and in holiness? The real characteristic of a spirit-filled life. Are you exuding the fruit of the spirit? And, And for all of us, as we have all fallen short of these things, will we continue to come back to Christ? to receive grace and mercy because I want to close I want to close with this last thought and it is so beautiful I want to read it for us in that original story in in Exodus chapter 17 when the people were crying out that they needed water in the wilderness Moses goes to the Lord and he he says we need water God have mercy on us and in Exodus 17 verse 6 God says this to Moses. He says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. Now notice that there's something here that I've never noticed before. It says, God says, I will stand before you there on the rock and you shall strike the rock. And so the presence and glory of God was in front of this rock and Moses went and, and in, in, in some sense, it's as if he struck the Lord when he struck the rock. And Paul actually picked up on this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, that rock was Christ. That rock was a picture a foreshadowing of Jesus. And what happened to Jesus? Well, he was struck. And when he was struck on that cross, what came out of his side but his blood and water? And this, even in Exodus chapter 17, is this picture, this prophetic image that God himself will allow himself to be stricken to be hung and nailed to a cross and would pour out his blood and even water from his side. He would give his life. He would be poured out that whoever would turn and acknowledge their need for him would receive forgiveness and grace. The blood of Jesus would cover them and they would receive that water, that source of cleansing and life themselves. And so every one of us has fallen short. Every one of us are proud. We don't acknowledge our need like we should. We don't daily run to God as a deer pants for water like we should. And yet Christ bled and poured out water from his side for us, even in our sin, even in our pride, even in our lack, that we could come to him and drink. So Jesus, we say thank you for your grace, your mercy, your loving kindness that you would invite, that you would stand up and cry out, come to me. Spirit of God, we acknowledge we need you. We need your grace. We need your mercy. I need your mercy. We thank you, Jesus. You were struck, you bled and died so that anyone who would believe in you 
would find grace and mercy and would become like this source of living water. So we say we need you, God. Now we come to you. We come to you, Lord. We come to you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.